John and Rick here with an extended Saturday morning jukebox. And, of course, we expect a very exciting show this coming Friday night as Felix Cavallari's Rascals perform at the Little River Casino in Manistee. And joining us this morning is a guy who not only went on to enjoy solo success as an artist and producer, but, of course, as the lead singer for the Young Rascals. Joining us is Felix Cavallari. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, Felix. Look forward to having you in, in Michigan. Uh, how often do you get to this uh, part of the, the country? Well, we usually get up there at least once a year, maybe twice a year. There's so many great cities in, in Michigan that we can perform at. And, uh, you know, especially in the in the warm weather, it's a gas. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you start out, you're born in, in New York, and your your parents, well, your dad is a, uh, is a dentist. Your right. mom's a pharmacist, so you had two right. professionals as parents, huh? Yeah, and that basically was the road I was starting to, you know, embark on and uh, went to Syracuse University for a while and then decided music was really, really, really the way to go for me. Now, you actually started out, your mom had you take classical piano lessons from the time right. you were 6 to about 14. So right. were you one of these kids, Felix, that actually looked forward to the lessons or it was like, okay, I can do this and I can go out and play baseball or something? It was kind of a combination because really uh, it was very intensive lessons there was two a week and that went on for eight years of my life so it was can't really say you look forward to it when you'd rather be out playing with the guys but bottom line is that it worked it worked out to give me a good education musically and i can't complain about it at this time interestingly enough obviously born in the part of new york you were there'd been a lot of new jersey influence but I don't at least denote in your music a whole lot of the Frankie Valley type of influence or the doo-wop groups. Was there more of that that I'm picking up? No, we, we were actually a little later than that. You know, that was, um, that was more of a 50s phenomenon, you know, those guys. I mean, I know them well and I love them, but we came around uh, after that. At least my musical talents, my musical tastes, my musical kind of like uh, energies were really around what Alan Freed was playing that time in New York City. The rock and roll sort of initiation came to New York, and we, we were listening to Flamingos and Miracles and Smokey, you know, like uh, Marvin Gaye, and we were listening to Fats Domino, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. it, it was a lot different than, you know, like, just basically what you would call doo-wop, you know? Sure. Uh, I see you also were a member of Joey D and, and the Starlighters. Of course, they had the big hit, The Peppermint Twist. Now, were you with right. them at that time? No. No, I was not. No, I, I was afterwards. I was about the third incarnation. Okay. <laughs> and uh, they were in Europe. They needed a keyboard player kind of quickly because their keyboard player left. So I, I worked with them overseas, you know, and, and it was it was right around the 60s and uh, got a chance to work actually with the Beatles over there with them. Before they came to the U.S., they were in Germany, they were in Sweden, et cetera, et cetera. We were on the same bill. And that was quite interesting because you see for the first time what everybody was about to see on the Ed Sullivan Show. I was going to ask you that, Felix. We've talked to some other acts that have toured with the Beatles, you know, kind of pre-Beatlemania over here. Right. Could, could you even imagine that they're going to be as big as they obviously turned out to be? Well, you know... I, I mean, you, you didn't know what was happening because everybody was screaming so loudly. <laughs> you just, you know, like kind of looked at it like some sort of a f phenomenon. So, yeah, obviously you knew something was happening. And it, it was pretty interesting to me because, you know, I'm a young kid. I'm coming out into the world of rock and roll. And they really, I mean, obviously when I saw them, they hadn't really gotten into their real serious, serious writing. They they were doing their, their you know, their first songs like everybody else. They were sure. like, you know, more of a freshman endeavor rather than getting to the you know the phenomenal heights that they reached 
talk to us about uh, uh, forming the, the the young rascals. How that all came about for you? Felix. Well, basically, you know, like after that, I just kind of, I just kind of realized that you know, like what they're doing can be done. And uh, you know, when I had the opportunity to do so, I asked a group of guys. I really tried to carefully select a group of guys that I that I thought could make it really quickly, and that's exactly what happened. You know, we had at that time one of the best drummers in the land, Dino Donnelly. Gene Cornish came from upstate New York. Eddie Brigatti, you know, a fine singer. Mm-hmm. And I, I really thought we had the goods to, to really kind of get somewhere. And, and, and lo and behold, in six months, we had a record deal. So it kind of worked out. Now, were you the sole writer? Did you guys... Uh, co- well, we collaborated. Okay. I mean, Eddie and I, we, we, we did like a, a, a lyric uh, music kind of thing, you know, and tried to mix and match as much as possible, although he really was not much of a musician. He was more of a lyricist. And vice versa. I, I'm more of a musician than a lyricist. So it worked out really well. What was that first one that really put you guys on the map? Well, I think the real song that put us on the map, of course, we didn't write, was Good Lovin'. Mm-hmm. That did it. One, two, three. Good love. Good love. Good love. Good love. getting back up to that level in terms of uh, sales, which was very difficult. It's awfully, it's very difficult to follow a big, big, big hit like Good Love It. And, uh, you know, like, especially when you really haven't had time to really hone your writing talents and get, you know, to where you want to get. And then all of a sudden you're cast into the top of the charts. Okay, 
Well, nobody was complaining about that, of course. It's just that that was a challenge. Right. And we were very fortunate that we, we were able to kind of meet that challenge. Otherwise, we might not have been able to continue to write because record companies, really, with all due respect, they, they just want hits. They don't, they don't really care who writes them. Sure. They don't really care about anything like that. They just want to get you on the charts, and once you're there, they want to keep you there, you know? And we were very fortunate that the first hit that we had after that was I've Been Lonely Too Long. In our Legends Spotlight today, we're talking to Felix Cavalieri of the Young Rascals. We're talking mostly about 1965. You had formed the Young Rascals, signed with Atlantic Records, already had a number one chart-topping hit, and then you had a chance to tour with a guy who was an absolute hero of my youth, and that's Soupy Sales. Tell us about working with Soupy. Yeah, well, Soupy, Soupy, rest his soul, man, was, was, was just a, one of the nicest and ch- most charming human beings I've ever met. In the beginning of our, our, our career, we, we were really trying to find a way to be noticed. And um, he had a great television show at that time. And so uh, we, we, we tried to hook up with him, and we were successful in hooking up with him to do some uh, shows with his songs. 
and this is, of course, before we signed to Atlantic and, you know, before anybody even knew who the heck we were. Uh, we backed him up on a couple of shows because he, uh, he had some hits. Uh, he had a song called The Mouse, and he had uh, Bahalafica. And, you know, they were all part of his act, but still, he got on the radio with those, so we, we played them for him. I tell you, one of my personal favorites, I, I liked uh, all of your stuff, uh, Felix, but Groove and just had, it, really, that song said it all. I mean, you just a, a lazy Sunday uh, uh, day, uh, the, the, the tune was perfect for it, the feel was perfect for it, and, and uh, w- that's ex- that's exactly what it was about, I guess, was just kind of hanging around on a Sunday, wasn't it? It had to do with uh, like uh, being with a, a lady at that time and uh, working on Friday, Saturday nights as a musician, so that the Sunday was really the, uh, that you could get together. That's really what it was about. It was kind of like being with you, somebody you love on a Sunday afternoon. On a Sunday afternoon. Really couldn't get away too soon. I can't imagine anything that's the charts once again yeah. in 1967 we were starting to come into the flower power era and right. through your writing how much of what was happening in the united states and around the world because boy there was such a generation gap there was a real uh, difference occurring and how much of that really found its way into your writing well all of it i mean i think that's that's one of the things that really makes the 60s very special is the fact that you know we had no internet we had no real kind of like other diversions. Music was our, our kind of link to each other uh, really around the world. As you say, Beatles, Stones, English people, uh, you know, kind of like uh, making music coming to America. And we're all growing up at the same time. And I, I see that when we do shows now, there's a bond there 
amongst all of us that we were kind of experiencing the same things, you know, like in America, of course, we had uh, a lot of issues, you know, I mean, I'll just keep it very simple and say that, uh, you know, they, they influenced the whole world. You know, as, as a result, you know, we're all kind of sort of on the same page. We're all like experiencing life together, romances, breakups, some of some experimental kind of stuff in the world that, you know, you know, to be named later, you know, and we're all going through the same growth period. And, and that's the beauty of, I believe, the 60s is that togetherness. Later on in 1967, another one of our giant favorites had a little bit different taste to it, and that was a song that went all the way to number four. It was called How Can I Be Sure, and really so melodic, and so, as a lead singer, what a great song to uh, put a different flavor in. Yes. How can I be sure in a world that's constantly changing? How can I be sure? Where I stand with you Whenever I Whenever I'm away From you I wanna die Cause you know I wanna stay With you How do I know Maybe you're trying to Flying too high can confuse me Touch me but don't take me down Whenever I Whenever I'm away from you My alibi Is telling people I don't care for you Maybe I Upside down, it's a pity I can't seem to find someone who's as pretty and lovely as you How can I be sure? I really, really, really want to know Again, now, you know, uh, see the numbers that you quote, I, I really, 
you know, those numbers are really kind of meaningless, you know what I'm saying? Because, sure. I mean, in the charts that we had, that went to number two, and it has totally eclipsed the song that was number one in terms of longevity. <laughs> sure. You know, that stuff there is kind of like it's just politics. Let me just explain that to you right now. If you know the right people and the record companies attached, you become a number one, and your price goes up. Sure. So, you know, what I say is we had a hit, you know, <laughs> and that's a big deal because the bottom line is it's, difficult to have a hit mm -hmm. and it's very difficult to have a hit with all of the uh, uh tremendously talented people that are out there you know and uh so I, i'm really proud that a song like that i don't know, think that song could be a hit today quite frankly i i don't think that could squeeze its way through the charts because you know the musical tastes are not as diverse as they used to be you know we used to have you know, we used to have these wonderful people over there in England making these fantastic songs that they had to play on the radio. Mm -hmm. They had to play a Beatles. They had to play Stones. And as a result, they, they got the audience's ears kind of tuned into, a, a, you know, like a, a, a Michelle or a Yesterday. Mm -hmm. Ah, so we can do How Can I Be Sure now. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But sure. today... I don't know if that would work, man. I, I don't think really a good song or... I, I just don't know if you can get, get through the muck today. I know one of the things that John and I talk about constantly is that back in the 60s, 70s, there was subtlety in the lyrics. In fact, a lot of times when hearing a great song, you might not necessarily be exactly sure what the artist intended to say. In fact, recently we had Mark Lindsay of Paul Revere and the Raiders that had said, you know, it wasn't until after the audience heard a song that I knew what the thing was about. In fact, that's those were just the kind of beautiful subtleties. The lyrics were actual artistry, and today they're really in-your-face, obvious kind of lyrics. Are you finding that to be true? Uh, well, today's a whole different planet. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, and, and you know, it's, uh, it's really mind-boggling what the heck they're able to say. I mean, you know, the Stones got in trouble for saying, let's, let's spend the night together. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine now? He uh, would probably pass out if he, you know. I mean, how about, how about CeeLo Green's song, number one? Yes, exactly. Yeah, come on, man. Yeah. You know, they, but, you know, again, is that really necessary? I guess it's necessary to show how cool we are. We're cool because we can say four-letter words. Yeah. You know, and, 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 you know, it's like, come on, man. You can't think of anything else? Nope. <laughs> can't do it and so as a result the entire language is going into the toilet you know and yeah. oh cool so you know we'll all just be idiots right couldn't agree you know more. i mean that's what's happening when you go all the way back to like what people were saying in the in the in the in the shakespeare days you go like well i guess the ball is not going upwards it's certainly going downwards you know <laughs> <laughs> so what can you do you know yeah, and if you yeah. have kids and grandkids you just try to say well okay let me show you what the English language was at one time, and of course that's ludicrous to think that we could even speak like that now. But mm. the general the general meaning is, come on, man, let's 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 show a little culture and art, and, and it doesn't happen anymore. You know, it's it's not about culture now; it's about it's about flash. Mm -hmm. And the more flash you have, the more money you make, I guess. And okay, <laughs> I mean it's cool. But I'll tell you, you know, like right now, I'm just glad that I was part of the 60s. Sure. You know, and because and, I don't think I could do this. I mean, first of all, I, I would have to be a, a, a hell of a lot better dancer. <laughs> oh, yeah, what a <laughs> and difference. a hell of a lot better looking guy. <laughs> and I don't know, as I say, but I'm so glad that, you know, yeah. we had what we had then, you know, because yep. we had a ball. And what really sticks to me is the fact that the music is still around. 
Yeah, exactly. I, I know Rick and I are always uh, talking about yeah, on our show, even though you know it's it, it's geared towards like the 1950s all the way to the early 80s. When we get a 20 something that calls us, you know, and and they're discovering that music. I'm sure you're finding Absolutely. it with your stuff. They're discovering that's new music to to this whole Absolutely. generation. That that's a thrill, isn't it? Well, it is. You know, and and a lot younger than that too. Sometimes, you know, and 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 the thing is, it's it's like over at um, you know I used to do some lectures over at Berkeley School of Music on the East Coast there. And they were very concerned about the the, the jazz people. Mm-hmm. And the rock people and the jazz people used to clash, you know, and they used to say, like, man, you know, like, you don't want to teach that rock and roll stuff here, you know, and, uh, of course, there wouldn't be any students if they didn't, you know. <laughs> right. But on the other hand, the, 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 the people who are talented and, I, I, I hate to say the word intelligent, but it is, uh, to really kind of dig into the jazz world, they're going to do that anyway. Sure, you know because they're going to get bored with the you know the other stuff that really doesn't even scratch the surface of what they're capable of. And I I like to think that's what's happening is that these these younger people are saying like, let me check this out, you know. Right. And you know there was a lot of great music in those days, and and you know that's that's why we're still here, still doing it. 
Felix, one of the things that you mentioned, too, was the Stones in a particular song, Let's Spend the Night Together. And, of course, when they appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show, they wanted them to change those lyrics. And John and I have always mentioned when we get the chance, we have to ask a great artist like you who had a chance to appear on Ed Sullivan what the atmosphere was like backstage and, you know, just what that was all about. Ed Sullivan was a variety show. Uh very interesting because there, there's no more shows like that. The, no. What he did was he was given a certain amount of money to put together a show for mm-hmm. one hour on a Sunday night. <laughs> and uh, he actually paid at a much higher rate. In other words, if you're, whatever your concert fee was, that's what you got for doing that show. Ah. Whereas in the, in the late, latter year, later years, it's a union scale. Mm-hmm. So it was very different. And it was treated as such. So, in other words, if he got somebody that was a comedian, he paid them their fee, and they came on and got their little stint. We also rehearsed for six days. We went on a Monday morning at approximately 8 a.m., and we worked all the way through Saturday. Saturday night, there was a complete dress rehearsal in front of an audience, untelevised. And then the big thing went on Sunday night. It was like a show business atmosphere. It was really very, very cool because, you know, you had comedians, you had actors, you had puppets, you had rock and roll. <laughs> Later, the rock and roll kind of took the spotlight, you know, sure. because it was like the beginning and the end of the show to get the viewers. And it was a madhouse because it was live. He would just kind of like drift. In other words, he'd be see, see, see somebody he knew in the audience, and all of a sudden there goes your time slot. <laughs> yeah. you know, because he, you know, he was an older dude. And he just started talking. Okay, there, there went the 35 seconds that you were supposed to do the chorus of your song. You know? Right, right. And, and that's what happened. So it was always like a very tense, like on-edge situation, which is gone now because everything's taped. Sure, yeah. sure. So, you know, you can do it over and you can, you can really hone it and, you know, like get a better shot at the vocals and get a better shot. But those days, that was it, man. You did it. And I tell you, quite frankly, <laughs> other than the excitement, it was really a tough thing to do. And, and one of the reasons was because, I, with all due respect, I really don't think they, give a, they gave a damn what it sounded like. Right. Right. You know, and it was it was embarrassing to go home and face your friends when you you know you sounded like that. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, not uh, it, was, it was a union thing and and yeah. and the union guys, you know, they they I, I don't think they really gave a damn, man. I'll tell yeah. you the truth. In later years the shows came around like uh, Don Kirshner's show. Yeah. And they really cared about it. Of course, Letterman and stuff like that, man. And when you go there, they got a full full recording studio you can try it out and you know it comes out really nice now sure so it was it was kind of an interesting thing yeah you got a lot of publicity but man it was frustrating yeah really yeah. frustrating to do and uh, the memories i have of that are, are um they're kind of really really interesting you know yeah. we we really enjoyed meeting a lot of these stars you know that we would never meet you know like a lot of the comedians right and a lot of the movie people and stuff like that you never cross paths with it was exciting that's the only word I can say. The, the best thing to do is, is to leave all the negativity out, you know? Not to mention, uh, you, you always wondered how he's going to slaughter a name or two, right? I mean, when talking Ed Sullivan, he, he, he killed everybody's name, didn't he? Well, he was an old guy. He was not a young dude by the time we got there. You know, he was, he was up there. And uh, right. frankly, I, I think he was a little bit thrown by all this rock and roll stuff. I, I don't think he really was a fan. I mean, we, we had a run-in with them over the years because, 
you know, if you're going to use our names as the stars of the show, then you better give us the right dressing room, man. Don't put us in the closet and right. have somebody that you know. Really, how you were treated a lot of, in those days is like, you know, you're, you're some sort of weirdo, yeah. which we were. I mean, I'll admit it. I mean, we weren't <laughs> normal people as far as they were concerned with the suit and ties and, you know. And uh, it was kind of like a really interesting, interesting to me, some of the things that happened there because, you know, it, it was show business. Mm-hmm. And show business is certainly a lot different now, you know, but this was the old-fashioned show business. I would have to think, too, that part of that was because the rock culture was so tuned to the either late teens or the 20s. And here's Ed, who was like 150. He was much more in tune with a Steve Lawrence, Edie Gourmet. I'm sure sure that was his comfort zone. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. There's not a doubt about it. He he didn't know what the hell hit him. (laughs) 1968, the... The world politically was changing. Crazy things were happening. The Democratic oh, yeah. Convention, uh, we had had rioting in 67 and 68. Flower oh, Power yeah. continues. But you have a couple of huge hits with A Beautiful Morning, and then you were moved because of some of those real negative political events to write right. a song that also topped the charts. Can you tell us about that one? Well, I think you're speaking of people got to be free. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, those, those days, many of us, were really involved with what was going on in the world. It wasn't, I don't know, I, I don't know if today if people are as involved, whether they be musicians or not, because they, they seem to get slapped in the face when they start to get into other things. But we were really involved. I mean, especially those of the people that, you know, like got drafted and we lost our friends over there. And, you know, us being on Atlantic, we were surrounded entirely by the black community. Mm-hmm. So when an assassination takes place, uh, you know, we're right there, man. We're right in the in the in the ghetto, so to speak, of 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 the world of uh, uh, show business, music, life, and in the way that watching the way that that stuff affected people was what really brought that song out. Because you know, I mean, we were there when Martin Luther King there, meaning at Atlantic Records, mm-hmm. and uh, we were probably the only white guys in the friggin' building. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you see the kind of emotion that was going on there, the crying and, you know, like, yeah. you know, the loss of kind of hope. And, you know, sure. that that sticks to you. Sure. And then I was working, you know, on the Robert Kennedy campaign, uh, mm. uh, very, you know, highly involved at that time in trying to, you know, do what I thought was the best thing for the country. So I was with a woman. I was dating a woman at that time who was actually there when he was assassinated. So it, it, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And that, that made quite a, a dent in my brain. So I had to, you know, I just felt like, look, you know, we just got to say something here that just at least draws a line in the sand and lets people know where we're coming from. And That's obviously all. Struck a Nerve became the biggest hit that you ever had. And obviously we're trying to make a statement that obviously was felt by the nation.
because it's coming right on through. Yeah, and and around the world too. South Africa at that time was 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 experiencing apartheid, and and Hong Kong was still under the, you know, the, the Chinese or whatever was going on over there, and that was number one there. And Berlin, it was number one, which was still under the Iron Curtain. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It was a really amazing time, and uh, you know, as I say, I, I I look at that and say, well, I'm glad I did that. '69 uh, comes along, Felix, and and actually the Rascals kind of change a different direction. You become more of a kind of a jazz combo. Uh, you 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 do a, a double uh, album, and, and you kind of really kind of change directions a little bit, don't you? Well, you know, the group split up around there. You know, we were really having difficulties internally. Mm. And, you know, you rightly or wrongly try to get a new direction because the old direction doesn't have the same components as you did. And, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. Most of the time the audience kind of rejects, you know, the idea that you're making a change. Right. Uh, They don't like it. But, you know, when you don't have the same personnel, you can't do the same stuff. You know, you just can't do it. Sure. And, uh... We, we put together a band at that time, which, I mean, the guys in that band were really phenomenal musicians. Just phenomenal. Uh-huh. But, you know, as I say, there's a certain kind of onus that's on a group once they're, you know, known. You've you got to deal with that. I mean, like a lot of people, from Mick Jagger to the rest of them, they were really unable to leave their groups and start something new. Very few. I mean, McCartney, I think, is one of the exceptions. You know, mm-hmm. of course, he's exceptional in a lot of ways. And, of course, you work with some great talent. You know, you talked about that. Uh, you eventually, uh, as you get away from the Rascals, uh, you're working at uh, the old Stack Studio down south with uh, Steve Cropper, put together an album with him. So you've really worked with some, some fantastically gifted musicians, uh, as you are yourself. Well, thank you. Yeah, you know, the whole thing is to really enjoy what you do and, you know, try to make a contribution to the world that you, you know, take your career in, which in my case is music. That's all you can really do, and, and, and it's, it's difficult really now because it's so diverse and it's so crazy that, you know, like, you, you really don't even get heard half the time, you know, but those that tune in, like evidently you guys and people of your audience that, you know, that, that like kind of like follow people or follow their lines, they, they do tune in. But sure. it's very, very just different today. It has, to, has a lot to do with uh, money and uh, connections and hype. And in a way, I guess it always did, but not to this extent. This is, this is crazy, you know, because if you've got the money to back someone to the tremendous heights that some of the new artists are, you, you can get over. Sure, sure. And then it's a, it's pretty interesting to see how those people kind of try to keep up to that level. Of course, <laughs> of course the yep. purest part of the music world is the songwriter, and you have to feel yeah. very gratified to be in the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Yeah, I, I do. Uh, I, I really appreciate that, uh, that honor uh, because the songwriting to me is really very, very, very interesting way to think Mm -hmm. you know because you're not really performing you're kind of like trying to find something that says something to everyone or to a certain group of people that you think might be interested in that and to make it not too serious and not too light phil specter used to say there's a line between too square and too hip right down that middle even though his personal life may be a disaster, man, he had hit after hit after hit sure after did. hit after hit, you know, and it's really hard to, 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 to keep that, you know, like 
place. Yeah. And now, I don't even know what to say now, because I, I moved down to Nashville to write. Uh-huh. That's really what I what I wanted to do, really, for the rest of my life, is write for myself and other people. And, you know, it's a struggle to kind of try to understand what's going on in people's minds, but it's just, you know, that's the, that's the most creative part of the business right there. And uh, obviously you're in Nashville, so when you think Nashville, even rightly or wrongly, you're thinking of the country music, uh, the country music era. Uh, right. Is that, is that the direction you took as far as the writer? To, to... No, no, I, I really don't know that stuff that well, although today it's a lot easier to know it than it was in the past mm. because it's really almost like Eagle stuff now. You Absolutely, know? right. But uh, the reason I came here was to write, there's so many great writers down here, you know, yeah. and just, you know, kind of raise a family and, you know, get into the world of, of, of music as opposed to living on the East Coast. I lived in Connecticut, and it was really very, very difficult to be around people that, you know, were not in the music industry or had nothing to do with it. They kind of really don't know, you know, what it's all about. And, you know, we don't know what their world's all about. Sure, sure. So uh, down here is the opposite. People really understand music and publishing and uh, songwriting and recording and, you know, getting paid four times a year instead of every week. You know, it's it's, it's a different, (laughs) uh, different way of life. Of course, uh, Felix Cavalier's Rascals traveling just about every weekend of the year. Are you ever running into some of your old artist friends while out oh, on the yeah. road? Yeah, you know, and that's that's a real treat. You know, it always is. It's kind of like a reunion almost. You know, sure. but that's 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 a real treat because you know we're all spread out over the over the whole country. There's a lot of people down here, just the same as you know people enjoy meeting, hooking up with their old college persons or or uh, high school friends and. It's the same with us, you know, and we're losing a lot of them, too, man. Yeah. A lot of guys are, you know, Rob Grill just recently, and, you know, um, we worked with Rob a lot, Grassroots, oh. over oh. the years. Yeah, great band. Very underrated. Yeah, and uh, I think that, you know, he was ill for a long time, and, uh, you know, like he was out there performing anyway. And, man, I tell you, sometimes I would see him on stage, I said, man, I don't know if he should be up there, you know. Yeah. But a lot of guys, you know, they're they're uh, biting the dust these days, man. And you you got you got to just realize let's let's take advantage of the time we have and you know get together. You well, bet. it's a treat that you're coming right into our backyard in Manistee, Little River Casino this Friday night. Of course, you can go to littleRiverCasino.com for more details. And Felix, I know you're very much looking forward to that show as well. I am, and uh, I enjoy speaking to you guys. So I hope I get a chance to say hello to you in person. Look forward to it, Felix. Hey, thanks for the time, man. Appreciate it, and keep on rocking. All right, man. Well, John, another great one, Felix Cavalieri of the Young Rascals, and he'll be here this coming Friday night at Little River Casino. Congratulations to everybody who won pairs of passes to the show already today. If you'd like another chance to pick those up, well, then come and see me as I'm setting up at the Habitat Restore right now on Airline Road, just off the exit at US 31. We're going to be here till noon today. So come on down, grab a pair of tickets to the Rascals. I have some WLCS t-shirts, movie passes to the Cinema Carousel, and of course the Habitat Restore has so much to offer. We'd love to have you come down and check out this great new addition to Muskegon and your home projects. The Habitat Restore on Airline Road at the US 31 exit. While we're waiting for you to show up, we'll play one more great Young Rascals tune. Here's a girl like you on Classic Hits 98.3. I don't know what it's all about But I feel I'll soon find out I'm 
Someone, someone to understand 